Authors, and welcome to uh, another lecture slash podcast on the basics of psychoanalytic psychotherapy, also known as depth therapy, also known as psychodynamic psychotherapy, etc. I don't want to bore you with too many uh, reviews, but let's see. Part of my um, drive here is to uh, explain a way of viewing a cross-theoretical method, in other words, a method of doing talk therapy, depth psychotherapy, that uh, pulls from a variety of different psychoanalytic theories. Uh, so the way I've organized that so far has been around um, three basic things that all psychoanalytic psychotherapists do, whether they're Jungian, Freudian, Kleinian, or one of the more contemporary schools like relational psychoanalysis or intersubjective theory. And that is that they frame the relationship, and that is time of meetings, length of meetings, fee, uh, really just what is the container or structure of this transformational relationship. Uh, that's number one. Number two is they bring their presence to their patients, and that means um, everything from empathy to curiosity, attunement, attention, interest, care, even love in a certain kind of bounded way, because this is these are bounded, structured relationships. Um, and a little bit confusing about presence is that's always the background uh, to any kind of competent depth psychotherapy, but it also uh, uh, elements of it can be used as part of the third way that all different psychoanalysts work with patients, and that's engagement. And what I mean by that is a variety of verbal and nonverbal ways of interfering with patients' internal dialogues. We all pass through life um, with, in living parallel internal drama external drama, and a lot of what competent depth psychotherapy is about is, is editing, if you will, making alterations in this fiction that we think of as ourselves or our lives or our inner world. So, um, so that's an overview of what we've been talking about, uh, framing, presence, and engagement and then last, oh, I forgot to say this is podcast number eight out of 10. Uh, the 10 will be introducing depth psychotherapy to the practitioner or to the patient. Uh, the very last one, number seven, I introduced the idea of defense mechanisms uh, toward the end of that one. Uh, that one was really devoted to this basic, another Another overarching idea cuts across all these different theories is that uh, the mind is sort of like a, a sandwich. I have to come up with a better analogy than that. How about a archaeological uh, layered structure? It doesn't work either. Well, you have at the deepest level some kind of mostly unconscious problem that could be uh, a combination of five things, a, a deep conflict, a deep um, unmet need state, 
something wrong biologically, like a tremendous amount of anxiety, depression, uh, psychotic uh, problem. Um, uh, trauma, so any kind of trauma. And the last one would be developmental delay. These deeply rooted foundational problems, I know what, let's think of it like a house. So the foundation of the house has some flaws. The flaws create a certain amount of discomfort um, in the form of anxiety, uh, 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 grief, sadness. And then there are defense mechanisms uh, that are layered on top. And what all the various schools of psychotherapy strive to do is to break through the defense mechanisms, not in a horrible confrontational way, often in a gentle way, expose the pain that the defense mechanisms are managing, and then dig into these underlying levels. So an entire psychotherapy could be around uh, addressing someone's deeply unmet need states, or uh, as an example of trauma, resolving uh, a loss of a parent when they were eight years old that they've never really had a chance to process the loss. They just kept moving forward. Um, I just submitted a paper yesterday where I have an example of a woman whose father died very quickly of cancer when she was around 10. But her mother, uh, without any malintent, uh, enlisted her in being a co-parent. So she actually has few recollections of the death of her father troubling her. She just had to work and become a co-parent with the younger siblings. All kinds of problems that came out of that kind of a defensive maneuver. Uh, anyway, so... Today, I'm focusing on defense mechanisms, and I've now decided, literally just a few minutes ago, to cut this into two podcasts, because I'll have a lot to cover just with giving you the most primitive uh, defense mechanisms, and those are known as splitting and projective identification. I'm going to say those again, splitting and projective identification. Uh now, uh, before I go forward, one of my famous, uh, according to me, side points is uh, one way to think about all the defense mechanisms. It's a nice kind of simple organizing way. Is that they're all varieties of dissociation. In other words, they're all ways of splitting the mind into pieces to make whatever the source of the stress is, internal conflict, unmet need state, um, serious automobile accident, diagnosis of cancer, loss of a friend. More manageable. It's like cutting up the world, the internal world, to make it more manageable. So every defense mechanism uh, does that. It disassociates of one type or another. If there was a final exam, that would be on the final. What do all defense mechanisms have in common? They split the mind they create dissociation. It was Anna Freud, Sigmund Freud's daughter, who in 1936 published a pretty famous book called The Ego and the Mechanisms of Defense. In that book, she lays out what are the most common 
defense mechanisms, and she hypothesized that there were five healthy ones or upper level ones, and I'll be going into those more in podcast number nine. Uh, this is number eight, but they are in the way of a brief preview repression that is unconsciously pushing something away, uh, suppression, which is consciously putting something away. If you're uh, awaiting a biopsy, let's say, and you're frightened about it, you may consciously suppress thinking about it or feeling the fear so that you can go to work, uh, have a loving relationship and do something for fun. Anticipation is another way that would be like imagining what's going to be like when you get the biopsy. Humor, which should be self-evident, but you think about it, particularly black humor, a lot of that are ways of uh, splitting the mind so that you can laugh at something that really has a dark edge to it. And finally, maybe most famously is sublimation and that going back to Freud meant taking your sexual urges, your urges for love, and uh, to add the Jungian set of ideas in here, because he thought there was an equally powerful drive for meaning or for individuation, like to become more of an individual. Uh, and that would be sublimation, where you're taking wherever you think the most foundational drive comes from, or plural drives, and channeling them into some kind of productive activity, or conceivably it could be a play activity. Now, splitting and projective identification were really elaborated upon by Melanie Klein, one of the early followers of Freud, and one of only four creators of complete psychoanalytic models of the mind. Those are Sigmund Freud, Melanie Klein, Ronald Fairbairn, and Carl Jung, J-U-N-G. So Klein thought uh, in splitting and projective identification, they're two different things, but they kind of go together. And here, in my view, is the best way to think about them. <clears throat> uh, splitting, what uh, someone taught me, is called the qualitative split, is a way for the infant to organize the world in a simple way. Imagine an infant sliding, sliding out of the birth canal, exposed to an infinite amount of stimuli from inside and out. There's noises, sounds, feelings, uh, pain, uh, gasping for breath, and then who knows what kind of internal stimuli there are. And the baby, and apparently there is some kind of a neurophysiological basis for this, uh, splits the world into two categories. These are good experiences. These are bad ones. To me, it makes a lot of logical sense. And uh, now, as I'll get to in a minute, adults can absolutely create these kind of splits, but it is considered primitive. Splitting and projective identification are the most regressed, most primitive, most, most infantile of the ego defense mechanisms. Uh, and that is just simply known as the qualitative split, good and bad. 
Melanie Klein goes into some funky stuff about the good breast and the bad breast. Um, bless her heart, she's just trying to capture what the world uh, might have looked like or to an infant or infants when they are doing this early qualitative splitting. They don't really have any kind of integrated sense of self or other, and they experience a good full breast as a good breast that's feeding them. And they experience one when they're full or when there's a nipple problem or some other kind of problem as the bad breast. Same idea. The way you see it in adult patients, uh, I had an encounter just a couple of days ago. It was fascinating to me because I saw two couples at the end of my day. The second to the last couple were very high functioning, mature people dealing with the fact that their kids had left the home, the dog had died, they had really flourishing individual lives, but they had failed to establish uh, enough of a coupledom to maintain it. Once these natural triangulations, like having children, building some financial security, uh, having some kind of a household had passed away, uh, immediately after that couple I saw uh, a man and a woman not married where the woman was in a rage. This fellow uh, basically is not interested in her. He sounds like a very primitively organized guy himself, but she did most of the talking and most of it was screaming and shouting. And you could just watch her vacillate at age, hmm, probably early 30s. Beautiful, intelligent, but really a traumatized uh, woman. Um, between idealization of this guy and herself. When she would talk about how uh, when they were first together, she loved him with her entire heart and they together were this fantastic thing. And then uh, shouting so loudly that it alarmed uh, the only sweet mate that was there at that point. Um, you're a fucking asshole, you're a piece of shit, you're a child you're incapable of loving. That is how splitting manifests itself in the adult mind in terms of psychology and behavior, like thought, emotion, behavior. But good and bad, black and white. Another way, another way to think about it is I, the a differentiation between um, idealization and devaluation. That's a way that splitting presents uh, in adult patients. But going back to the world of the baby, um, right kind of concomitant with this qualitative split, and again, this mostly comes out of the work of Melanie Klein, spelled with a K, is projective identification. And this now is called the geographical split. This gets a little more difficult to understand because uh, I have to guide you into the internal drama and the external world as they occur in parallel with one another because uh, the baby who wants to keep his or her experience as positive as possible moves bad content into the bad part of the self. See, I've already confused even myself. So if you go back to splitting, Klein was hypothesizing, who can ever know this, you can't interview a baby, that 
uh, that babies uh, started to develop categories of good and bad other, good and bad self. But even those are too sophisticated of concepts. Maybe it's more like good and bad outside, good and bad inside. And the baby, as much as possible, will try to move bad contents into the bad part of the self to keep the clean part good and clean. And same thing with the external object or person. Um, so uh, through the process of projective identification, that's a term of art, two words, uh, the baby is moving content. Think about it as it was explained to me once as like moving um, furniture around a room. Now, where it gets tricky is you can also move it between people. So let's say the baby has a very angry reaction toward the mother caregiver not providing a nutrition or rest or comfort. Uh, the baby is not going to want to have this angry feeling. So she or he will project it into the mother as a way to get rid of it. The baby is also projecting it into the mother image that's in him or herself. Because remember, parallel universes, you you person listening to this podcast right now lives in a parallel world. Your relationship with yourself is as strong as your relationship with any other person. And your internal relationship has a complex cast of characters that runs roughly parallel to those you encounter in the world. That's how you make sense of the world. You can, you're not overwhelmed by infinity like the baby is when the child comes out. So... I'm hoping to be helpful in a second here because uh, one of Melanie Klein's developmental ideas is that there are only two stages in life. The uh, paranoid schizoid, which is the first three months of life. Schizoid does not mean schizophrenic. It means schizoid as in cut or split, splitting of the mind. And the depressive position, uh, I'm going to make a note here because maybe I'll need to devote a lecture to uh, development. I think I'll make that one maybe number 10 or something. Um, so um, the reason why Klein called the first three months paranoid schizoid is that part of discharging, expunging, excreting the bad material, the bad feelings, is that it creates a paranoia because your anger, hurt, uh, what she believes, and I disagree, is an innate amount of envy, rage, uh, jealousy. You're projecting it into a caregiver. Therefore, you rid yourself of it. Good news there, right? But you now believe that that other person has anger towards you. Thus, the phrase paranoid schizoid. I'm on a bit of a side trip here, so I'm going to watch my time. But because uh, I'm talking about developmental psychology, 
when you get into the uh, into the depressive position, which then characterizes the rest of your life, uh, it's kind of interesting, I think, uh, that the mother caregiver that you thought you thought you had a good one and a bad one and the you that you thought was a good one and a bad one totally separate is holy shit this is one person and i am also one person and that begins a lifetime of management of uh loving and hating feelings one of Klein's later works is called Envy and Gratitude, written in the 1930s, and kind of a wonderful paper or short book uh, uh, talking about how we all go through life managing our ambivalence toward ourselves and toward other people. Um, so uh, back to splitting and projective identification. A way to think about it, why the word identification, because you've all heard of projection. Uh, before you ever heard this podcast, you probably imagine a story like you might be angry at a friend and through some unconscious defense mechanism, because that's what it would be, you start to imagine the friend is angry at you. And with the help of a psychoanalyst or just looking inward, you realize you're actually the one that's angry. I remember a good old Fritz Perls from the Gestalt school of psychology talking about um, guilt equals anger. And what he would mean by that is this guilt, which is basically anger at the self, uh, was really uh, an introjection of, uh, which is a bizarre kind of projection, projection turned toward the self, uh, of a feeling that you have uh, that you're actually angry at that other person. Um, now that might have been confusing and for that I apologize. So um, the, the I, I know a good way to help this with this and that would be to talk about the last couple I saw this last Friday night uh, where the woman is pretty severe borderline personality disorder. One way to think about that disorder is they live in uh, primarily in worlds of splitting and projective identification. Oh, I know, I didn't really finish the word identification. Uh, when this woman was um, shouting at this guy for being so inadequate, for being a child, uh, uh, she, <laughs> she was identifying her own immense inadequacies her own immaturity into him. And the way I believe the word identification is useful is it's not only a projection, she also actually identified it as existing in him. Uh, another way, when I talked about in an earlier lecture about this fellow that would alternate a patient of mine, idealization and devaluation of me, Uh, is that when he would be on my case and telling me I was inadequate and hopeless and I needed supervision and consultation and uh, I was a terrible uh, psychotherapist, um, he was identifying me as having those feelings uh, that were really his. 
So projection, just like you already knew, is a moving of an emotion, a thought, an attitude uh, from self into other or from other into you. Identification is the process of that's where how you identify where it is. Um, an interesting side point here is that uh, many people don't realize you can also project um, a, a mental function. So, for example, an overindulged child, uh, when they start to enter adolescence, um, will commonly, well, their capacity to care for themselves is kind of weakened because their parents have been overindulging them. I'm sure I was guilty of some of this with my own daughters. Um, and if, if it's not repaired along the way, you can have uh, uh, patients can project mental function into you. A common, that would be a form of projective identification, a common manifestation that, that every beginning psychotherapist encounters is, do you think I should leave my boyfriend or not? Uh, do you think this job is good enough for me? Uh, uh, one way of understanding those last two questions would be it's a projection of mental function into the psychoanalyst or psychotherapist. Um, so how is this playing out? Let me give you some more examples. Uh, this romantic relationship that I was dealing with on this last Friday evening, uh, the guy was very quiet. Um, uh, they they had had some sexual encounters in the past eight months, but it really looked like he was never particularly interested in her. And I I've, I know her a little bit better. That's a long story. That's not relevant. I never met him before. Uh, but he he's probably I cannot imagine him being very adequate to uh, achieving the reciprocity necessary for mature relationships. Uh, in any event, even if they had some lovely dates and some good sexual encounters, it was never an item. They were never an item. And the woman, Jill, as I call all my female patients, I got to have something more creative than that at some point, uh, kind of made up this thing in her mind that she's super angry about, uh, that he cannot deliver. So the splitting in Jill is around that was a fantastic relationship. That was a terrible relationship. See the qualitative difference, but it's there's a chasm between them. You know, she would she wept numerous times during the session um, at one point, um, weeping about how wonderful this unio mystico, this this mystical union was early on in the relationship in her imagination. And she would also weep at what she feels is the abject mistreatment, abuse, hatred that he has for her. Now, you can see how the splitting and projective identification go so closely together, because as soon as I venture into the word hatred, it's really now and now I'm talking about projective identification because this guy was what would be called kind of emotionally impoverished. 
there wasn't much emotion there, but I, I certainly didn't see any anger. I doubt he has much even outside in the session, but in the midst of the full 60-minute session, he displayed zero anger. He was calm. She was the one that was screaming and ranting and jumping up and threatening to leave. So uh, her hypothesizing that he hated her, that he was abusive toward her, was a good example of projective identification. Now, I'm really afraid of confusing you guys because I want to go back now to infancy as the session comes to an end here. Because another way to think of projective identification is that it's a normal developmental stage for infancy. When an infant is weeping, is a crying, weeping would not be the right word, uh, a good enough mother and father starts to discern the meaning of those cries. So, if you will, a, an entirely different way to understand, but an accurate way, projective identification is that it's an infantile, nonverbal form of communication. The hungry baby elicits a certain kind of cry that is projected into the parents. The good enough parents identify, oh, that is the cry of a hungry baby. Oh, that's the cry of a tired baby. Uh-oh, that's the cry of a soiled baby. Um, time to change his or her diaper. Um, and there you have projection of the painful emotion, identification in the parent of the meaning of it. In that case, it just occurred to me, it would actually include mental function because the baby has no mental functions and as well as affect and thought. Uh, and this is why, key moment here, this is why parents start to talk to their children even age one, two, three. Use your words, use your words. Please use your words to talk about what you need. Tell me what you need, what you're feeling, what you're thinking. Because all of the more sophisticated defense mechanisms that I'll talk about in the next lecture, uh, whether it's um, uh, repression, suppression, sublimation, humor, they all are much more verbally oriented and they rest on much more stable ground. The problem with these two very primitive defense mechanisms of splitting and projective identification is they create tremendous instability. Theodore Milan, who may be the most famous personality researcher so far in our time, in uh, I think he was at Harvard or Yale, M-I-L-L-O-N, he, he developed one-word descriptions for each of the personality disorders, and the one for borderline personality was the word unstable, because those folks have instability in relationships, in mood, in thought, uh, it can frequently be mistaken for a multiple personality disorder. So I hope and trust that I presented these foundational, uh, not in a good way, <laughs> they're foundational in terms of they are developmental stages. We all have to have had splitting and projective identification. It's a good idea to have a little bit left 
somebody breaks down your door, points an AK-47 at you, that's not the time to have empathy for the world, uh, for his poverty or his hardship. It is the time to think in very black and white ways, to split, to project all the badness into him and have all the good in you and work on saving yourself. In fact, uh, this primitive idea of paranoid schizoid functioning is part of a, a, a wonderful life. You can't imagine a weekend and fantasize about it in a positive way if you're not doing some splitting. But as a general measure, you don't want it to be the majority of your personality uh, style. And uh, so I explained to you how splitting and projective identification are developmental stages of infancy and how it can manifest in uh, adult patients. And I just really hope that was a helpful lecture today, which I'm now bringing to a close. Talk to you soon. And thank you so much for your interest.